I think, you know, VC has been built up as the holy grail of what you need as a, as a founder. And I think we need to kind of get founders to think, to understand that that's not the case. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to world-class investors and Olympians, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, we're joined by Hannah Leach, partner at Houghton Street Ventures, the venture fund in partnership with the London School of Economics. Hannah is also co-founder of Venture ESG, the community-based non-profit organization from VCs for VCs to support the ecosystem with meaningful ESG integration. Prior to joining Houghton Street Ventures, Hannah had worked in and around the venture and entrepreneurial ecosystems her whole career, including building accelerated programs, teams within scale-ups, and starting a company or two. I am really looking forward to diving into Hannah's career to date, hearing all about the brilliant work she's doing at Houghton Street and Venture ESG, plus talking more about ESG in venture as a whole. So, Hannah... Welcome to 40 Minute Mentor. It's lovely to see you again. We've known each other for a few years, so this is really exciting. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for having me. I've listened and watched a lot of your interviews to date, and obviously we have known each other a long time. So it's nice to nice to be here. Yeah, the pleasure really is all mine. Well, you will know that we like to start with some quick fire questions just to get you warmed up and for our audience to get to know you a bit better. So please finish the following sentences after me. Number one, the deal I am most proud of is? Binstar, which is tackling the e-commerce returns problem in the US founded by two LSE alums. They're tackling in a really unique way. Lots of platforms we've seen as software solutions to the e-commerce returns problem. So, you know, you, that age-old thing of buying five pairs of jeans, only keeping one and sending four back is creating a lot of disasters for the, the world and the planet. And these guys are setting up a unique model around discount stores or bin stores um, in launching in Massachusetts, but then expanding across the US. So really excited to be on their journey. Awesome. I wish I would have invested in. Scan.com. You might know Charlie Bullock. He is another LSE alum. He is his second business. He launched a marketplace for MRIs, but is also looking at the long term and building B2B infrastructure, connecting all kind of stakeholders in their value chain. He's just fantastic, like an amazing entrepreneur, really humble, um, just an amazing operator and super personable. Expanded into the US. Like we met him when we didn't have a fund. So we weren't able to invest, but um, we've been on his journey for a long time and have kind of, yeah, closely in touch. So he's he's a good one to look out for in the future. Yeah, what a cool business. Thank you for sharing. A myth I'd like to bust about VC is? I think, uh, maybe this isn't a myth about VC, I think lots of people think that VC is the only way to fund your business. You know, we get lots of startups coming to us and, and you, you look at them and you say, well, actually, VC is not the right model for you. I think, you know, VC has been built up as the holy grail of what you need as a, as a founder. And I think we need to kind of get founders to think, to understand that that's not the case. And that's not like where glory lies. That is so true. And great to hear a VC investor saying that as well. I think this, there are other avenues. And I think particularly in this climate, I think it's really, really important to talk about those. So thank you very much for, yeah, for making that point. The hardest thing about being in VC is? Just doing everything. 
and obviously like VCs aren't homogenous, right? Like I, I always say this, like I'm an emerging manager setting up our own fund. I'm not someone who's working at um, Atomico, like a big firm. Like building a, a fund from the ground up is building a business. <laughs> it's really hard. Like it's operationally hard. It's There are so many things you have to do, which is actually why I love it. But it's it's hard. It's fundraising. Every, like everything is hard. It's all hard. But that's kind of why we do it. Yeah. I mean, that much more rewarding when you have the wins. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons we wanted to get you on. It's a different story. It's a different experience and like a really exciting and interesting and alternative one to the, you know, the bigger US funds or, or, or whatever. So uh, yeah, I can't wait to dig into that. I know there'll be there's pain and there's uh, challenges and things that you've had to overcome alongside many wins. So can't wait to explore all of the above. Finally, the one thing I'd like to change about VC is the notion that there's like a traditional path into VC. That's something I feel quite strongly about. You know, we can talk about this later, but I have quite an atypical background and I think we need to redefine what it means to be a VC and how a VC is made. And I think in turn, that would then lead on to kind of increased capital going to people who don't currently have access to it. That is a great point. I couldn't agree more to be honest with you. And uh, I really hope we'll see some of those changes uh, in the industry in the years ahead. But it definitely needs a lot of work, doesn't it? Hannah, thank you. Already touched on some important and interesting points that we're going to go deeper into over the course of this conversation. But before we get there, tell us a bit about younger Hannah or Han, as we were saying offline that your brother's call you. Did you always have this kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Tell us a bit about your upbringing and uh, yeah, I guess the impact that's had on, on your career and life to date. Yeah, you know, I think I meant to say that I was always like selling sweets in the schoolyard or something like that, but, but it's just not the case. I'm like the youngest of three, like two older brothers. My whole family, so my parents and my brothers are both uh, all medical. So I'm definitely the, the black sheep of the family. I think um, I wasn't really entrepreneur. I think I was always into people, like interested in people. And also like I did whatever my brothers did, right? Like play football, learn snowboard, skateboard. I wanted to do what they were doing. So like I always like just threw myself into things. And I, I don't mean to like draw parallels with my like career, but I think I've done a lot of that. Like just I'm not afraid to like throw myself into new things and see how it goes and kind of, you know, fall up, fall down on that slope whilst on the skateboard as it were. That's really interesting you said that because it's clear from the variety in your career that that's been the case. That's kind of that theme has carried on. You've worked across lots of different sectors and had lots of interesting challenges. So can you share for those that don't know your backstory, a bit of a, an overview of your CV and uh, I guess how those experiences led you to becoming a VC investor? Yeah, so I I did my undergrad in Newcastle in politics, came to London to work in public affairs and kind of lobbying and a little bit of CSR, got really just didn't enjoy it and wanted to go to out to work in India. I'd focused on that a bit in my undergrad and I'm half Indian. So just kind of got a got a plane ticket out to India, not knowing anyone, had an internship lined up, found an apartment on Craigslist, which is hilarious. I still can't believe my parents let me do that. And went to work in Mumbai for a big foundation of a bank, um, doing kind of lots of charity work. We would kind of give give grants to small um, organisations, and then went to work for a rural healthcare organisation. I just got really disenchanted with the charity model, the typical charity model, and I was sitting in the same office as Acumen Fund, which is one of the early advocates of investing in entrepreneurs in emerging markets. 
I love the idea that you could invest in these entrepreneurs and support them with capital and access to support and services and mentorship. And, and that was a way to kind of tackle poverty and global problems. So I came to LSE to do my master's in that and fully intended to go back out to India and to work in the sector. And this was the time that fintech was really bubbling up in the UK. And I fell into working for this entrepreneur who was setting up, a, he'd, he'd set up a clean tech business, sold it, had a, a load of a liquid stock and set up a secondary market, wanted to set up a secondary marketplace. And at the time we were based in level 39 and I met tons of people and I got really exposed to this whole ecosystem and learned about what it meant to start a business and, and do all the elements of it. So work with the tech team to launch the product and set up the advisory group and fundraise and all of it. Like I got stuck, I used to call myself director of bits and bobs. And of course, I thought, right, I can do this myself. So I left a startup cab pal, which I get relentlessly ribbed about by my family. Uberpool became Uber before Uberpool existed. And that was a quite a lonely founder journey. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was flailing around in the dark by myself. So someone then said to me, why don't you come and run this accelerator? It was the first master of these accelerators set up by Canary Wharf Group. They're working with 36 companies over a six-month period, helping them kind of devise solutions to implement on the estate. And I loved it, working with founders and building a network and plugging them into the community. And it was kind of everything I enjoyed. And, and then someone said, you know, time to get a proper job. Go to EY. So I went to EY to help set up their fintech team which again was an experience working in a massive organization, lots of process, lots of structure, lots of bureaucracy, and realized that that wasn't really for me. And then left to join 10X Banking, which is being set up by Anthony Jenkins and an old boss, Brad, um, who's now banked. And again, like FinTech, lots of partnerships. Essentially, long story short, I've kind of dabbled around and jumped around and worked in different types of organizations and different types of roles and haven't quite fully found where I fit. But what I realize is that I love building communities. I really see the opportunities and things. And when I got like started exploring VCs, it was really the platform role that I was looking at because I think building out those platform support services, understanding how to support the founders that you're investing in is really critical. And, you know, for the last, maybe that's become prominent in the last 10 years or five, 10 years in the UK, but it wasn't, you know, before then. So that's actually how I got into VC. That was how I entered Houghton Street and then from there became a partner. What a story, Hannah. Thank you so much for sharing that because that I hope will inspire a lot of people that listen to this that maybe not on the original path that they thought they'd be or maybe haven't quite found their way yet or because the reality is there's not in this day and age it's absolutely fine to have a squiggly career. Sometimes it takes two, three, four, five, ten moves to work out to find the thing that you're really passionate about. And I think it's really lovely to hear that you tried lots of different things and then have found something that you're, you know, you're really excited by and passionate about and having lots of success in. So really nice to hear a slightly different sort of career journey. Do you think that squiggly career was that intentional did it just did that happen more organically it sounded like it was a bit more of just sort of you went with it and just saw where the world took you but would love to hear your thoughts on that it was yeah it was very organic it wasn't it wasn't intentional at the time I think I was just constantly trying to figure out where I where I fit you know what role did I really enjoy what was it about about something that I wanted to stick with and I don't love the fact that I've had kind of, you know, 10 jobs over the last decade. It's not like it's not a, not something like, like I necessarily champion, but it has got me exposed to lots of different 
industries, lots of different sectors, lots of different people. And there is a narrative there. there. I think that's really important is looking back and looking at what the common thread is. Like I really love working with people to get ideas off the ground, to do the kind of research and the strategy, put the plan together, build out the foundations, which I've done in a lot of places. And I think there's an element of VC investing very early pre-season seed companies where you get to do that. So there is definitely an overarching theme, but it, it does take a bit of time to understand what that is. But no, it was not intentional at all. You've obviously been a founder before, which I always think is really helpful as an investor to have that lens and perspective. What were your biggest learnings from your founder experience and how has that helped you as a VC today? I don't know why I laugh at when I guess I did found like, a few things, but I don't really associate, like call myself a founder, which is quite interesting. Oh my God, so many learning. So Cab Power was one. And then I did like a side hustle, which was give a damn dating, which is basically dating in the real world for people who kind of give a shit about the world. And then Venti ESG, if you want to want to call it another initiative. Cab Power I did on my own and I would not advocate ever doing something alone. I know that's, I think you really need to bring people in on the journey. It makes you, you know, you balance out the highs and lows. It makes the day-to-day so much more enjoyable and it makes you more creative as a person as a company so that was a big learning would never do anything alone balancing out your skill sets and understanding how they fit so my um give a damn co-founder and i was a side hustle we used to organize kind of really fun curious events around london she's a creative brain you know she'd love putting together the event concept and i was more of the like the operational person maybe more of like the go-to-market if you wanted to call it that although we never did call it that like the commercial shops so i think understanding who you're building a business with why you're building a business with them how do you complement each other how do you actually kind of allocate those roles in, in the business i think looking at kind of investing in companies now is surprising how many founders don't necessarily do that at the outset and need a bit more of a steer and then just having a community like it's going on the founder journey is incredibly tough. So having people that you can talk to, kind of be vulnerable with, I know that word's become a bit corny, but I think vulnerability and kind of authenticity on that journey is really key to kind of maintaining longevity of mental health. hundred percent. I would say being in a particularly one founder community has had you know, a huge impact on me. Just it's as much as about not feeling alone on the journey, not feeling like you're going crazy when you're up against, you know, even if you can be at a totally different stage, there's just a, there's a piece you get from just hearing people going through similar sorts of situations and just sort of, it's almost like peer mentorship, but it's often like therapy. <laughs> you just need to get it out. You need to talk it through. And it's so helpful. And I think particularly in the UK, there's an amazing willingness to support founders uh, you know amongst from founders to founders and there's just great communities out there where it is really authentic and people do really care and they will go above and beyond for you and to check you're all right and I, I think that is just quite powerful and really important to any founders listening to this like me who's a solo founder and I totally hear what you said I think it is very difficult to be a solo founder and it is a lonely place even though you know I've got a wonderful team and I'm very lucky over the years now yeah i don't have that same sort of feeling i had in the first few years but even still there are days where you are the brand uh, the sort of the, the the buck stops with you a bit and sometimes that pressure gets a lot uh, you know a bit too much so sometimes it's great just to to talk to others yeah i wanted to 
to talk about your route into VC because it is far from traditional. We alluded to that. And lots of people do go their kind of the banking route or they might exit their startup and they, you know, get into investing that way. Can you talk us a bit about that transition? And I'd love to hear how you feel that you've experienced it differently based on your background and prior experiences. And and what bits of that transition did you find most challenging or surprising, perhaps? I'd love just to hear that, particularly for anyone else that might be going through that change at the moment. Well, it's a really hard question because I, I, I think to some extent I don't necessarily still like identify myself with it as being a VC. And I know that sounds crazy and it, it doesn't make any sense, but I feel like I haven't been doing it long enough yet. So I... As I said, I've done a lot of different things. I've built this kind of unique, wonky-shaped network, which I'm very happy about. And I sit on, I joined the board of LSE's Entrepreneurship Centre about five years ago. And they run accelerated programs. They have like 12 innovation hubs globally. They've just set up a food and beverage program for focus on F&B entrepreneurs. They do female founder programs. They run loads of things. I kind of got a front seat to seeing how the alumni ecosystem at LSE was growing and how many founders there were there, how, um, you know, what the success stories looked like. And I kind of realized that there was something there. And then I got introduced to Veronica, who was setting up the fund. And to be honest, we had this chat and we ended up, you know, it was an hour meeting. We ended up speaking for three hours and realized that there was something there and we wanted to work together. So I didn't go into that meeting being like, I'm going to join a VC. Went into this meeting thinking she's working on something really cool. I have no idea what it is really. But it sounds super fascinating. It sounds really unique in the UK market. Um, she's obviously done some thinking around it and would love to learn more. And didn't even know there was a role there. So and that's applied to a lot of my career. So it was less about it being a VC, if that makes sense, and more about the opportunity that we were tapping into. And then the path has obviously led me into being in a role. But I'm not sure that answers your question. No, no, no. It's interesting. And I think it also lends itself to what you've always said that you throw yourself into things and I think your curiosity which I think is just a good lesson for us all sometimes you just if you're curious and excited you know willing to put yourself out there and have conversations with different people it's quite amazing where that can lead I think did you find when you started in VC a particular aspect that was much harder because so you didn't come from the traditional background what was the hardest part of that transition one is is mentally, like my, psychologically, I have really I have to constantly battle against this. It's really hard. The whole industry is it's full of ex- very successful people and of people who have had this very, I want to say, a little bit of a of a standard path. And it's hard to look at your background and actually put yourself on an even like level with them to say my background is as valid or it's as good because the whole industry doesn't really recognise that. So actually, I've had to do a lot of work in looking back and saying, actually, my, um, you know, my, my background is valid and is good for this role and does work. And I do offer a lot of value. And the next thing is fundraising. So fundraising, obviously, Adam, my partner, you know, was at Goldman, founded Scalable Capital, incredibly impressive background, lovely human. And he's the LSE Goldman Scalable Unicorn founder, white male. And it's hard it's wonderful working with him, but sometimes it can be hard in the sense that people compare us. You know, people look at me and say, "Oh, you're not. You're the nice and fluffy one. You're the woman fluffy one." But Adam's the person who's going to give me the return. So fundraising can be brutal in that respect. But it, you know, got highlighted the other day. I think on our old deck, we had like Adam was just founder, like unicorn founder, 
something and then mine was like super connected with a moral compass and this female LP said to us like I didn't really realize how you position yourself but it doesn't sound good so a lot of it is like personal confidence and reflection but the fundraising process constantly is like a someone kind of whipping you slightly yeah no I'm sorry to hear that because it's that's a bit depressing still isn't it and I think um unfortunately for many people particularly female and underrepresented founders and investors you it's just a lot harder right and I think you it's probably even harder for you because you have a non-traditional path but I think what's clear from how far you've come is just the validity to your experience and I think that's hopefully really helpful and inspiring for others that are kind of looking to break into VC. And to what I to what I said before about having knowing your team and knowing how you fit and complement each other, I think you have to be really clear on that when you're setting up a fund, depending on your thesis. You know, for us, community is central. Everything we do is plugging into the community, the way we get access, the way we support founders. That's what I love. Like I get a dopamine hit from doing that side of things. That's why Adam and I make so much sense because he's got his, you know, his invest his um, golden background. He's got his founder backgrounds. Like it works with the two of us, and it may not work in that way with another individual but for us this partnership is comes together so you understand where you're adding value love that we're going to come on to talk a bit more specifically about Houghton Street Adventures in a minute but can you share some advice just for anybody that's looking to move into VC right now that is coming from non-traditional backgrounds what can they do to break through like you did understand what you actually really want why you want to go into VC speak to so many students or so many grads but like, oh, I really want to enter VC and I love working with companies you're like have you ever worked with a company before I think oh, no, no but I love startups <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we get that a lot as well figure out what you want to do figure out what you're good at figure out what you've done like go work in a startup get your some you know operator experience like understand where your skills are where your value lies and why you would make sense for this firm or a firm like how you fit in and build you know I always say to people um you want to be on the investor side of things not on the platform side like build a, a test portfolio you know pick out the companies that you would have invested in build a thesis for yourself i think being very proactive like trying to talk to people have coffees but as, i think as long as you show real interest enthusiasm and knowledge you'll be fine totally yeah i agree i agree and i think there there is a growing sort of momentum behind wanting to have different perspectives and greater diversity in VC. There's still not enough of that, but I hope there'll be more of it. And therefore, I think if you do those things you mentioned in terms of really thought it through, be clear on your value prop and your areas of expertise, be proactive, build relationships, listen, take feedback, all those sorts of things, show real passion for the space, then I think you'll you'll definitely have a better chance than, than just try and get in because of daddy or mummy or friends. Yeah, or the guy I worked with at yeah, the investment bank. It's interesting though, because when you list those things, they all sound very sensible. Like they all sound very obvious, very simple things. I think they are, but it's amazing. It, and this goes to job searching in general. It's amazing how many very talented people bomb at interviews because they either, unfortunately, arrogance slips in because they've always succeeded in everything they've done. They think moving from a corporate to a startup will be easy. Well, it's not because it's very competitive and you have to do the work. You have to show. You've got to go above and beyond. And it's amazing, even at senior levels, even for exact searches that we run. It's amazing how many people fall down on very simple things, not having gone under the surface or the bonnet of a business to really understand the values and the strategy and the competition. Whereas often these things are just take a bit of time and a bit of care. 
Coming on to House of Street Ventures then, you've been a partner since 2020. Can you tell us a bit more about the origin story, the sorts of investments you've made so far, how you assess founders? Let's hear a bit more about how you do what you do and how it all came together. So in the US, you probably know, like lots of universities have alumni-focused funds. In the UK, no one does, funnily enough. Like there are a few angel groups, but there's no fund kind of formally affiliated with the uni, but that has this focus or thesis. So we essentially realized unbeknownst to most people that the LSE alumni base is really entrepreneurial. It's like more than now, more than 10%, so more than uh, 25,000 alums have previously set up a business or are actively, so together previously set up and shut down and actively. So it's huge. They produce 26 unicorns out there. Every year they raise between three and 500 million at seed. Last year was a bit lower. So overall, about just close to 4 billion venture fund funding. But loads of activity. And we just thought this is a really interesting thesis. We can get access to the founders through that you know affinity. And once we've invested, we can plug them into the, this incredible robust network you know 250,000 people globally every corner of the globe every type of company whether it's investment talent bd support just advice peer support everything you need it's in there somewhere so we kind of put the thesis to put the proposal to the school and got the partnership agreement over the line which took longer than we had anticipated of working with a uni as much like working with a corporate and we have this formal partnership agreement, which means that we you know, get housed on campus where I am now in, in the middle of London. We get to use the brand and logo. We get plugged into everything the uni does, whether it's the entrepreneurship centre, the faculty, the alumni engagement team. And we also commit a portion of our economics back to the university to support entrepreneurship activities, which, you know, to coin one of Adam's terms from Goldman is long term greedy. If we kind of get students thinking about entrepreneurship now, then in five, 10 years when they leave, um, when they've left, you know, in a Meta or an Amazon, you know, they might then leave to, to found a business and come to us. Our focus is very much on alum. They're not students. Even though we do stuff with the student body, it's focused on alumni. So people who on average have been out of uni for about eight to 10 years. And we have a, a it's very kind of simple. As long as there's an LSE alum founder on the team, then we'll talk to you. We have a global mandate. We're, um, we're generalists. So any kind of tech enabled sectors. And we do small tickets, so 150 to 250k pre-seed to late seed. And we've done 10 investments to date, one in India, one in Germany, one in the UK, four in the US, one in Canada, one in Brazil and one in Colombia. So very regionally diverse and across kind of fintech, B2B SaaS, consumer social, brick and mortar, digital health, wow. insurance. Very broad then. Yes, which is not to everyone's taste. I love it. I think this is, it's a really, as you said, in the US, this is massive. It feels criminal that we don't have more of this. And, and there's such an amazing pool of talent, you know, in the in the alumni that it makes total sense. What a cool partnership. And you've already described some of the great benefits that I guess students, alumni, the university and yourselves can get from that kind of mutually beneficial partnership. There are going to be people hearing this that go, oh, I'm a LSE alum. I've got a good startup idea. So for anyone that falls into that category, when it comes to pitching to you and working with you guys as you and Adam as as a VC partner, what are you looking for? What are the do's and don'ts, you know, the things that grab your attention and on the flip side, the red flags uh, when pitching? Fill us in if you don't mind. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we've, I would say any business you're building, come and talk to us. You know, even if it's not something that we'd invest in, we're, we're here to kind of support and plug you into the ecosystem. So 100% come at us with everything you've got. But in terms of what we look for, we look for, I mean, two, two buckets. So one is second time founders. That's a, a portion of what we've invested in people who've kind of been on the, you know, this is not their first rodeo. But more than that is people solving a problem that they really understand. You know, why have they struck upon this problem as something that they want to solve? Like, how do they, did they have, they had personal experience? Did they work in the industry where they were close to it? What makes them think that they are going to be able to beat everyone else to solving this problem? And as it, and is it a big problem? You know, the kind of economics of our fund mean that um, we need to make a 50 times 100 return on every investment we make. So they need to be building a business in a big market or that has the potential to expand into a big market. You know, not only do they know the problem, but do they understand that this is a problem? Can they demonstrate that this is a problem that is really being felt? So if it's, you know, an enterprise SaaS, like, have they spoken to corporates? If it's for consumers, have they done their research? Like, how much insight have they got? Often they're amazing ideas, but they're not necessarily fully validated. And whilst we don't necessarily need kind of traction per se, we do like to have some assurance or understanding that they've kind of proven that this is a real problem. We do speak to, um, first to sole founders and we've backed a few sole founders. So, you know, kind of going against what I said um, before, but it really depends on the strength and, you know, are they going to be able to bring in really, really strong, strong talent? Well, lastly, we're not an impact fund, but we do want to see people building businesses in which we can get onto later kind of in the, in the right way or solving problems that are real in the world. You know, we don't want to invest in businesses that are kind of propagating or reinforcing necessarily kind of bad habits so yeah so we do kind of have that lens great thank you very much before we come on to talk about esg which is i know a topic of really you're really passionate about and it's very important we've obviously touched upon fundraising there for founders pitching to you but but you've also had the unique experience of raising a a first-time fund so for anyone else that might be thinking about doing this themselves do you mind sharing some of your lessons from that experience anything you do differently and particularly given that this is still sadly a very male-dominated industry how your experience was raising as a woman in vc because there might be other uh, women out there that that have maybe been put off by experiences so far so any advice you could share there as well would be super helpful if we were to do this what have we learned maybe i'll take that if we were to do this again we okay so one you have you have to have a unique thesis like just as i said for founders why are they building this why are they kind of uniquely experiencing this or why do they have unique insight that's going to put them ahead of the rest i think when you're building a fund you need to understand what that is like why are you going to be able to get access to the best founders out there why do they want to talk to you why do they want to take your money like you can't underestimate the importance of that and for us that's the lse affinity so we get access to to founders but i think when you're creating a whole new thesis you have to validate it as i just said so we when we started fundraising you know we had this on paper we hadn't invested in any lslm businesses before we started i mean adam had from his angel portfolio but it wasn't really on the base of the alum link so we we had on paper this is what we think we can do i think if we were to go again we would have raised a small amount of money 
So like the folks at Form Ventures, you know, they raised a, a small, I think it was 100 million and then invested that and then used that to raise their kind of big first big fund. I think we would have done that, raised a small amount of money, invested in kind of 10 businesses and used that as an example, a case study of who we can get access to, who we can invest alongside, how we can support them. And that would have helped pull the story together so much more effectively. It's very hard if you're starting straight out of the gates with no venture experience to kind of build a strong narrative on the basis of paper and then lots of things but you've got to have confidence everything you're doing you've got to believe in it there's an element of pretending we're still is it pretending is that the right word we've only been investing for a year so again uh, someone said oh i get uh, someone said to me the other day oh here it's going really well and i was like how are we defining well what does well mean? We've got a little bit of money and we're investing it. I know. Well, there's such a long cycle to I know. Isn't there? Yeah. It's so hard to, I guess, often know until you've seen those returns. It's, but, you know, I guess you get some good signals, don't you, as to how it's going. But, yeah. And I also, I, I've become a strong believer in the fact that I think lots of people don't necessarily understand what it's like to work, to set up a fund from the get-go and to work in this world it's very bitty it's quite content a lot of content switching you're doing lots of different things it's kind of you have to be an uber generalist and you have to love that and you have to thrive and be driven by the small wins so as you said the feedback loops are so long that if you're waiting for that markup <laughs> or whatever you're going to be here a long time so you have to really get a hit from getting on a call with a founder and being able to have a great conversation and support them for an hour or connecting them to the, their lead series A investor or connecting them to whoever. Like you have to be driven by those things in order to make this, I think, to want to do the get up every day and do it. And I think some people don't necessarily realize that. Mm -hmm. And did you feel that as a woman, it was a different experience to a male raising a first time fund? So I don't have the experience of being a white man, so I can't like <laughs> I can't compare. It's a lot of the like the soft, subtle bits, you know, the soft, subtle references and being in a meeting and someone speaking to Adam. There are some like specific stories, like the fluffy, you know, warm, fluffy things like that comments. But I don't know what it's like, you know. At, some people, Adam gets more responses on LinkedIn than I do from people, but there are many reasons for that. And no, it's not just the fact that he's a man. Like, I think sometimes you need to not think about gender in this. Like, it doesn't help to focus too much on gender. It can be quite dispiriting. Fair enough. That's good advice. Hannah, at the end of 2020, you also co-founded Venture ESG, which is a brilliant initiative that I'd love our listeners to learn a bit more about if they haven't already heard about it. So, Tell us why you decided to start it and what's the impact you're having with it. So we're, as I said, we're not an impact fund, but we were looking at some of the companies. When we were sitting at Powerton Street Ventures. We were looking at some of the companies that had come out of the alumni base and like all birds. It's not a great example now, but all birds. And some of these businesses were not impact businesses, but had kind of looked like they had built sustainability and responsibility into the core of their operations and what they stood for. And we were like, how can we operationalize that in our fund? LSE at the same time had given us, I think, an ESG policy. And we were like, this is crazy. This is not like this isn't what it should be. So we started talking to other funds to see what they were doing. And, you know, most response we got was what's ESG? What do you mean by that? Do you mean an exclusions list? And a few funds had kind of been working on things, but not really. So it seemed in the industry like no one was really talking about it. And at the same time, there was the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter. Some of the big tech companies had not been operating in kind of a very responsible way. Some of the VCs had had 
Me Too issues and there seemed to be a wave happening. So we got a small group of kind of, we thought, right, well, we'll define an ESG framework for ourselves. And we did this with Mercury, so Ginny and Denise from Mercury, which is the fund that's backed by the Scott Trust. So we came together with them. And then Johannes, who's now my kind of co-founder and co-director at Venture ESG, who's an academic at Cambridge, who'd written about kind of ethics. He was the only guy online who I could see writing anything on tech ethics. And we came together to define and, and put together this ESG framework for venture. And we had about 20 funds around the table to help us with that and pulled in founders and lawyers and subject matter experts. And by middle of 2021, there was a lot of interest and we were doing community calls and some events. And we thought, right, let's turn this into something proper. So that's when we spun out Bench ESG. And as an entity, we support uh, VC funds, so mainstream VC funds and impact, but not ESG funds or not funds just investing in sustainability. So every type of fund emerging, established, investing in all different regions and all different sectors. And we have a community of LPs and we essentially support them with kind of understanding what ESG is, what it means for the way that their funds operate and how they invest. So we provide expert events. We put together specific fit for purpose resources and tools and we do training. Um, and we now have a community of about 550 VCs and about 100 LPs. Wow. That is amazing. Congratulations on the impact you've had in a really short space of time. I think VC is often perceived as a, a very competitive environment where more often than not funds compete against each other rather than collaborating. Now, I know that isn't always the case. There's lots of co-investing and stuff, but there is a competitive spirit perhaps amongst some funds. So you've partnered with so many different VCs here to create and test the ESG framework. So can you tell us a bit more about that collaboration and how it came about and why that should be probably something we should to focus more on and do more of? Yeah, I mean, I, I really love this question because I always talk about this. I always say that it's been such a unique glimpse into the VC world that everyone's so collaborative and it's so true. And I think the main reason is is because kind of being more sustainable and inclusive and responsible in how you operate as a fund or how you invest and how you support companies is not a competitive differentiator. You know, we should all be doing this. It should become, we think, a license to operate in a number of years. If you're not doing this, then you actually shouldn't get funding. Like that should be it. If you're not treating your employees right, why should anyone give you money? So actually, I think that's been recognized. So because it's not a competitive differentiator, people are really happy to help each other. And if they believe in, if you want to use the term bettering society, which I don't really like that term, but I think if you are integrating this to have a positive impact on the world and on people and the planet then you want to maximize that. You don't want to just limit that for your portfolio. You want to kind of see that happen at scale. So I think people are very happy to, and it's in, we see it every day, you know, people will be looking at how, you know, how do I roll out this reporting function? And so I'm like, oh, we'll get on a call and discuss it. Happy to make time. So the generosity within the community is kind of continually astounding. Love that. And before we get to our three wrap-up questions, for any VCs listening to this that are kind of thinking, right, I need to think more about ESG in 2024 and beyond, what is your advice for them? And what does the future look like for ESG in VC? So I think if you're a VC thinking about this and you don't really know where to start, obviously give event GSG a shout or go on our website, like we have a cheat sheet for you. But also before you start thinking about it in terms of your companies, think about it as a fund. Like how are you operating? How are you sourcing and hiring in an inclusive basis? How are you treating your employees? You know, do you have an internal code of conduct? Are you measuring your carbon footprint when you're flying left and right and sent to board meetings and conferences? 
um, you know, think about things for your own fund first. We always say like you need to walk the walk before you start asking things of your companies. So, and also it gives you a good understanding of what it means to integrate a lot of this, how hard and easy is. The, where is ESG going? It's a tough one, right? Like ESG in the public markets is taking a bit of a bashing, but we don't think it's going anywhere in private markets and in venture, which I think is a good thing. LPs are increasingly requiring it. Regulation has come in. So I think we're still seeing people adopt it. In the US, there might be what you call now green hushing. So people doing it, but not talking about it. But I don't, I think it's here to stay. So I, yeah, I'm bullish on ESG. Long may that continue. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. Hannah, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to do our three wrap-up questions, uh, but I've really enjoyed our conversation. What is the best piece of career advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with as we kick off 2024? Have confidence in yourself. Be your best advocate. And then the next one, which I don't think is very popular, don't be afraid of quitting. Like quitting is okay. Like quit. Like sometimes you need that clean break to go on to the next thing. And there's no doors. I believe doors rarely shut. Doors rarely close forever. Love that. Thanks, Hannah. What are you personally and professionally most excited about in 2024? <sighs> Closing our fund. Being able to invest in more fantastic founders. <laughs> Thanks. I'm really seeing eventually SG is growing. We're going to be doing a lot more in the US. Actually seeing funds implement real work and take action. And then we're hosting a conference in September, which is the first of its kind for ESG and venture capital. And so very excited to bring people together. And before that, we're doing an emotional resilience workshop for emerging managers, which I would say is probably for myself. But I'm really excited to bring those conversations together. Much needed. A really important topic that. Thank you. And finally, this is 40 Minute Mentor. So if you could be mentored by anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Can I cheat? Go for it. In the sense that I don't have a person because I'm really bad at this. It's like when people say, you know, who do you want to, who do you want to invite for dinner? Which six people dead or alive? So I would say like someone outside of my industry, like a sportswoman, maybe Serena Williams, like a sportswoman or an actress, people who are building careers in industries that have like similar dynamics in terms of like male, female, like where there's some ego. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I would want someone who can understand and empathize with what I'm going with, but from a different context love that that's a really good answer hannah thank you so much for sharing your story it's a really fascinating one you've achieved so much and the impact you're having you know with both house and street ventures but also around the esg agenda in vc is is incredible and you really deserve all the success you're having so thank you for coming on the podcast and i wish you all the very best of luck with these exciting initiatives you have in the year ahead Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's really like perked up my Friday morning, energized now for the rest of the day. Wonderful. Thanks a lot, Hannah. Thank you. And that is all from us today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it even half as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you're a new listener and haven't left us feedback before, we would really appreciate it if you did. We'd love to hear what you love most about 40 Minute Mentor and how you think we can make it even better. So if you have 30 seconds after this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could head to ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm and leave us a rating and review. You can also leave 
leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if we've left any questions unanswered in today's episode, or if you have any suggestions for future episodes, then please do let our head of marketing, Hannah, know. Thank you so much again for all your support, and I hope to see you next Wednesday for even more pocket-sized mentorship. Thank you.